Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. The adult child of a parent with dementia undoubtedly faces challenges with the parent, perhaps the care, the conversations, or the realization that the connection with mom or dad has changed. The rapport is no longer the same, and the relationship will continue to evolve as the parent travels down the path of dementia. My guest today is Edwin Fontanez, author of a book called One Last Song for My Father, A Son's Memoir. He will talk about his relationship with his father from childhood in Puerto Rico to adulthood and the struggle to find a connection with his often remote father. He'll also talk about how the contact changed when his father was diagnosed with senile dementia at age 76 and what he learned from an adult perspective during his father's 16-year-long journey with the disease. So welcome, Edwin, and thank you for joining me today. Good morning, Cheryl. This is such a wonderful opportunity to continue our conversation from the other day. So thank you so much for receiving me in your wonderful show. Okay. Well, it's wonderful to have you here. And we're going to get started by having you give us an overview. I mentioned very briefly that uh, your childhood was spent in Puerto Rico. But talk more about that growing up in Puerto Rico, and specifically the relationship that you had with your father when you were a young boy, and and then talk a little bit about your father's education and occupation. Oh, certainly. Well, I grew up in Catania, um, which is a, a small town across the bay from San Juan in Puerto Rico, and I am the first of three children with two sisters, Maria and Anna, uh, my other sister named after our mother. And uh, I would describe um, my relationship between my father and me when I was a young boy as, as remarkably average, I would say. And my father focused on his work and as the mother carried the heavier lifting of taking care of, of us and her motherly duties to cook, feed us, take care of the house and dispatch us to, to school. And in the meantime, um, my father made a living um, selling sand to local contractors. And later on, he transitioned into a um, driver for a public car. And that was his main way of living. And um, my father's education was very minimal uh, since he dropped out of school before he reached the third grade. And although it wasn't necessarily a frivolous decision, because back then schools were inconveniently miles away, uh, traversing through forests, rivers, dirt roads, and all that with the unpredictability of weather conditions on top of everything. And also most of the kids coming from poor households and were also nearly starving. So in a way, back then, making it to third grade was in, a, in itself a great accomplishment. So um, after <laughs> so uh, many problems in, in of behavior in school, so he dropped out of school and instead uh, he helped my grandfather with farm work. And just shortly after that, he left for the city and Catania, where we he established the family, and um, that's also when after he married my mother, that he self-taught and became a tinsmith, and that was a job that he uh, did for the rest of his life, and it was also a very uh, admirable undertaking because. That kind of work, you know, fixing cars and and also correcting mechanical problems, it was an incredible, incredible um, hard work. And even like I said before, he was self-taught, but he took it and he made it his passion and continued uh, improving throughout throughout his life. And it was an amazing um, fit for him. 
and something that I didn't appreciate until later on in life, you know, seen back as how he lived himself and lived his family and uh, yeah, and also very self-made man. And um, in terms of my relationship with him, as I grew older, um, I would say that like any other teenager, there's a, a stage of rebellion, and which I consider is a natural stage, anyways. And uh, also, it was a, a transitional period when he uh, began to assert uh, our individuality for young people. It's a period to assert our individuality. So it's very hard when start clashing with the, the norms and guidance from our parents. So in my case, what started to change at that period was the my father um, drinking and which kept increasing exponentially and kind of starting to break the, the fabric of the, the family. So um, that, was, that was a very hard period for me because like I said before, just confronting that kind of behavior for a young man, um, the effect that I, it had on me was that I became more uh, self-conscious you know, self-conscious about what people thought of us, what um, how people uh, saw uh, our family from a very um, negative point of view. So it really did affect me. And as I also understand, having looked at your book, one of the traits that was very obvious and even is implied in your book is about your father's love for and involvement with music in his life. <laughs> Talk more about that. Why? How was it significant? Why? What did you see as that developed? Or if, or was it there all the time? Well, you know something, I think um, I would say that for my father, music always represented a lifeline, and he grew up watching his own father play the guitar, and and partly that in, uh, enhanced the experience for for him later on. And I mean, he, my father wasn't a, a a seasoned artist, but he loved music. He loved singing, and and um, like I said, that was also another aspect of his life, of his social life, that also affected the the dynamic of family because sometimes he would love to go out partying and dancing and playing with with friends and we as a family are, were the ones who who took the hit you know because he, he that almost became like his priority and of course as a teen man he didn't make much money and but later that as more as later as he made he would also come in and go out in a flash because he would be very generous with his friends in terms of um, sharing alcohol and and gambling. So there was also a, that that sense of insecurity in terms of how he could uh, how could we all survive. And as I understand it, there came a point, though, even though he was uh, involved with, as he was involved with music, and you mentioned he had a drinking problem and also gambling, that there was a particular um, period that, uh, that occurred in your father's life that changed his lifestyle. Talk more about that. What was that about, and how did that affect your relationship with him, and maybe even in terms of uh, the family. I I must explain, for instance, that um, my father was a functional alcoholic. That is a term that I didn't learn way way until my later years, and the explanation for that is like, for instance, and it's kind of funny in a way. A drinking socially is part of the culture of my culture, um, and I and it's called. In fact, it's, it's um, 
categorized as drinking socially, in fact. But that means that any person can veer into alcoholism without knowing it because it's a drinking again like i said it's it's almost a, a pastime during weekends in terms of of my father uh, that like i said it was something that kept increasing and getting more complicated and um, but the 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 contrasting thing that that i seen his family was how also alcohol transformed him and he would become like the life of the party. And it was very confounding for me because I see if a person who struggles to, to, to maintain the financial security of his family and he prefers to squander what it later he made with, uh, with his friends and in addition to that i also starting to see um a worsening pattern in his behavior when he's starting to get also very aggressive and also m- most of the time my mother was the, the brunt of his his um um uh, verbal abuse and something that once again like i was saying those were kinds of things that kind of pushed me to grow older very fast because all of a sudden I saw myself even in an unconscious um, a level that that I I had to find a way how to create some kind of of balance to, uh, to um, uh, eradicate a little bit of that behavior so I became my mother's <laughs> guardian I would say and to the point that I remember one night in particular that he came home and he was like totally inebriated. And I remember being in my bedroom and I started to shake because the moment I I heard the car approaching, I know something was going to happen. And this is something, some kind of story that I'm sure mo- uh, a lot of people will identify with, because you start not only um, learning that that kind of pattern is it becomes a, a, a continuous pattern, you know, so almost like a routine. So I knew that the moment that he, my mother, would open the door, there would be some kind of argument, and sure enough, it it, it happened. So. I remember listening to my mother crying in the dark, and uh, and I I I, re- I got out of bed and went to her and tried to comf- comfort her. And I said, you know, Mamita, are you okay? And I remember that she's saying, even sobbing, she said, like, go back to bed, go back to bed. And uh, so the thing is, it just makes make me very hopeless. And for instance, um, um, that's the kind of thing that I was saying. It, it made me more determined to to try to find a better way of life for us. But that was that was the the epitome of his of his let's say disease because his drinking is a, a disease. Alcoholism is a disease. So that was the epitome, and I, I knew that that was nothing good or positive can come out out of something like that. And with this background now that you're describing about your father and his behavior, at what point then in your life, both your age as well as your father's age, did he begin his long journey into darkness, the senile dementia that we want to talk more about and hear your story today. When did that happen? Were you still in Puerto Rico? Had you moved? What was the scenario for how that began? I left for school, art school, in 1976. And um, so in a way, I was relieved that I was getting out of that toxic environment. But I was still very concerned about my mother and his relationship and, and in fact at some point I'd even had suggested that she would leave him 
And um, I, I'm saying this because <laughs> it's a backstory of what I'm going to tell you later. But I remember that I actually told her that, you know, why don't you leave him? And so we took, uh, went to, to our, her grandpa, her parents and stay with them. But being a very Catholic uh, household, there was no way that they uh, would agree to her to get divorced. So I remember that I felt kind of, well, I don't know how to describe it, but I felt like very, very small because not only had I, uh, my mother decided to, to return to, to, to our house. So then um, I felt that not only I had failed to save her, but now I was seeing uh, my father uh, as an enemy, you know? So I created like like a, a, a framework, a family dynamic, very awkward, but... Um, then, like I said, I left for the, the city and uh, I, I went to, to start art and stayed with my aunt for a few years. And But in the meantime, I keep hearing stories through my sisters of his behavior and his um, excessive drinking and to the point that even friends would have to drive him back home because he would lose the keys of his car. So... After that, I left for the United States and um, to continue my, my studies. So it was until much later, um, I, I always visit them uh, every year. And I think like I was telling you in our previous conversation, I used to take notes and just Notes that I thought that they, they were um, nothing special, just the descriptions of the day, things that happened, ordinary things happening through the day, and so I used to 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 gather those notes and put them away, you know, thinking nothing of them. But it was until 2000 that um, I went to to one of my visits. And um, he was having some. At, at that time, he he he, uh, he was seventy six years old. So I remember we took him to his uh, med, uh, doctor to to some kind of pro, uh, problem with his prostate. But soon the doctor calls us in his office and he says, "Like your father has the the." signs of uh, onset dementia and it, it blew me away it just blew me away because then um i has started to see the the change in him that in a way was very sad because he was a vital man and like i said he was he was a good man he was generous he just his problem was that you know his alcoholism and uh but he was a, a a good man in his heart so i see how um his personality changed all of a sudden this vibrant <laughs> uh, alive man also became very very um submissive he was like a ghost of himself and um so I remember that um, he abandoned everything, the, the small pleasures he had, like um, reading the newspaper or listening to music. So that was shocking to me because that was part of his, of his <laughs> entertainment, let's say. And um, what I um, did was... Um, with all that notes that I had accumulated, um, it was precisely the beginning of the the pandemic, and I was going th through my files to see what would my next project would be, and I found these notes, and I re realized that I had started to document his um, not only his diagnosis but 
his decline throughout the years. So that was over a period of 16 years. And um, so the thing is, at that point, I realized that I had a book. So uh, through a, a very wonderful friend of mine, um, an author, is Sally Lowenstein, she pushed me to, to, to write the book. And I, I was a little bit concerned because I thought like, Writing about family is something so very delicate. There's a delicate line. So I just wanted to, if I do, would do that, I had to be careful uh, not to, to create a factual account of his, uh, the devel development of his illness. But I didn't want to also become um, judgmental. So there was a fine line. So that's how I started working on on the book, but now jumping back um, to the to that um, two thousand uh, after a few I would say a couple of years of the he was diagnosed with the with the dementia there was something that blew my mind and I remember my sister and my mother warning me but. I said, well, it will be okay. And it was the moment that I went home and I hug him and I kiss him. And he goes like, and who are you? And I said, I'm your son. I'm Edwin. And he looked at me like, like I was some stranger that walks off the street and hugged him. And for me, it was an awakening moment. It was it was very very devastating because uh, when that uh, period begins, there's no way back. There's no way back. There's nothing you can do to correct or bring that person to 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 the light. Well, Edwin, that's a such a dramatic moment that you're sharing with us, and I would like to just stop here for a moment and take a breath and and we're going to take a short break as well and we're going to talk about what that journey was like with your father but I just want to share with our listeners that we're talking with Edwin Fontanez who is the author of a book called One Last Song for My Father a son's memoir in which he talks about his father's journey with senile dementia you are listening to WERA Arlington, 96.7 FM, and we'll be right back. Welcome back. Our conversation today is with Edward Fontanez, who is the author of a book called One Last Song for My Father, A Son's Memoir. He's talking about his journey with his father, who was diagnosed with senile dementia. And Edwin, before the break, you talked about your initial reaction when you came home for the first time and, and learned more about your father's diagnosis. Talk more about that and how your interaction and your reaction with your dad uh, progressed as the the time in which he was dealing with this disease wore on? Well, um, like I was saying before, the, the biggest pivotal moment in the process that blew me away was um, the moment that he didn't recognize me. And... Um, one thing that I wanted to 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 point out, which is, I, I think, it's almost a, a, I would dare to say that it's a universal um, tendency when when confronted with this kind of health crisis. It's like you think that with sheer um, wish wishful thinking, with um, you, that that you can reverse or 
affect some kind of situation uh, like this. And by that, I mean that I kept talking to him about people and places and, and his, his mind was a, a clean slate. And I keep against my, my, my best um, judgment or logic. I kept asking him, like, do you remember me? Do you remember me? And I would say, like, this is your, your daughter. And, and it was kind of funny because in a way, um, I remember that in occasion that I was telling to, to him that uh, my sister Anna was his daughter. And he looked at me like he goes, like, my daughter. Yeah. And it was kind of funny because it was like, like somebody who, 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 lost something in the house and, and all of a sudden finds it. So that's, that's, that's what it seemed to me. It's like, uh, how come I have a, a daughter or something like that? But anyway, besides the, 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 the funny aspect of that, it was very uh, frustrating because you keep talking to him. I kept talking to him, trying to, to jog his mind to see if I could see even a slight um, um, moment of clarity. But of course, it's, as you might uh, note or, or suspect, dementia is not reversible. <laughs> and once the mind, the, the brain is affected, there's nothing you can do to to correct that. You know, it's just it's not only the the personality traits; it's just the, the physical uh, the deterioration. So, but I remember, and that it. I guess um, he, at some point, um, like I said, his mind was a clean slate. But there was something inside his head that it was still connected him to music. He wasn't seeing any lyrics, but he was like constantly humming, humming a kind of a mysterious melody that I don't know what it was, but it was something inside his head that it was almost like, again, like another lifeline, something that sustained him, something that maybe he didn't remember, but there was some kind of vestige there that, that kept him connected to that part of life that, that was gone. So I remember uh, he would like home all day long and, and clap his hands and he would be rocking on his chair. So what I would do is just sit um, by his side just to watch him. We will be in the balcony and just enjoying the, 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 the light of the sun and watching people uh, pass by and just also immersing myself in the, the view of the, the forestation and the, the beautiful geography of the island. So th that's what I would spend my, my days with him. But I remember in one occasion... He blew my mind once more, and um, I was sitting with him in the balcony, as I usually did with him in the mornings after breakfast. So at that point, uh, the mid-morning got really hot, so I went downstairs and got into a hammock, and I, I realized that he had followed me. And he stands in front of me, and he stretches his hand to me. He goes, nice to meet you. How are you doing? And I was like, what? So that was, again, th those are kind of, I don't know how to describe it. But it's like a leader, leader stops at the heart. Because it's like, even though it's kind of wonderful that they, <laughs> that they still have the, the capacity for, for affection. But it's like, if you only knew me. You know what I mean? I wanted to, to see me at, at his son. But um, the second part of that episode was even more amazing to me because um, I was listening to the radio and out of the blue, he goes, is that Mayari? Mayari is a... a, a a very popular uh, music group from the 40s and 50s in Puerto Rico, very famous. And I corrected him. I, I mean, it surprised me that he, again, in his actual state of mind, he could recognize the music. And I 
and I please remember this, I corrected him. And I insist, correct this, because this is going to come back. <laughs> I said, no, that's not Mayari. That's Placido Acevedo. And okay. The funny thing is that later, he was right. Because Placido Acevedo is part of Mayari. So he was perfect. <laughs> so that's something that is it just blew my mind. It just blew my mind. And see how the, 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 the power of music was like sustaining him, even if anything else did. So that uh, taking that in consideration, I mean his personality became very, very docile, very um uh, peaceful, I would say. And me, I, I was trying to to <laughs> to look between, to read between the lines, and I was wondering, like, was this maybe his real personality? You know, and that the now that disease has erased any pretensions of attitude, of personality, or bias, and allow him to be himself. So I wonder if this was. Is this what's really him? So is that the, all, all the kind of things that make me think about um, the the illness, you know, and the and the damage it has created? But luckily, there was some threat that it didn't. Uh, it wasn't successful in destroying, and it was his his love of music. And to that point, Edwin, I was wondering as you realized that that the personality had altered as a result of the disease. Mm. As part of your interaction with your father, did you feel like you had regrets as to certain things that you hadn't said or done with him, knowing, as you just said a, a moment ago, you knew that the, the disease is not reversible, but were there regrets about things that hadn't been said or done with your dad? That is the perfect question, and that is precisely the reason of my book. And uh, and and I'm t I'm going to tell you why. Being like like I described before, the difficult family dynamic while growing up, and uh, feeling embarrassed, feeling insecure, and self conscious. Um, sometimes. Most people, or in my case, as a young man, I was in such a hurry to grow up, to get away from my family dynamic, to make a life and, and be um, cre create a decent man of, out of myself. So life goes fast and, and, and you go faster, you know, and sometimes you don't, don't think back because you always think time is... On your, on your side, which is very, very misguided. But once that, that I confronted his, his um, the state of his mind due to his uh, senil uh, senility, um, it made me realize how I lost the, the opportunity to connect with him before his uh, dementia to connect with him like man to man to be able to tell him I love you because he never did tell me I, I, so I thankfully I in one point in my life I broke that barrier and told him I love him so he broke down our barrier and I wish since then that I would have more time in his older years to sit side by side and talk about us, about our relationship, and and our life, and that it was like you said, um, perfectly uh, stated perfectly. It was, it is the biggest regret because it was like the biggest loss of an opportunity that that um, some people might uh, might take for granted. But for me, it was like a, a, an opportunity to share part of his life. In his golden years, to 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 like I said, to talk man to man, and uh, and also when he passed away, I remember um, people. A friend of mine, uh, in fact, asked me 
he goes, Edwin, I can tell that that is a very, a, a very painful stage, but I don't see you breaking down. And it makes me think, that's true, it didn't break me down, but I think it has to do because 16 years before, I had accepted what was coming down the road. In fact, the fact that I couldn't communicate with him in the level that I wanted to, um, I had lost him already. So I spent those 16 years mourning for 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 the death of his memories, for for the death of his his life. So after he came, it was just maybe a relief, because just imagine a person, as I try to myself, a person tried to live a life, but. There's no information in his in his inside his head about his previous life, his experiences. So I just couldn't fathom the the void inside his his mind. You know, the, not knowing anything about his life, not even knowing anyone around himself. So that was that that I think that was kind of a another serious death for me. I was also wondering if, as this journey went on uh, with his senile dementia, did you notice that there was a change in the relationship your father had with other family members besides you, like your, your oh, mom? Oh, certainly. How, what did that look like? <laughs> Another perfect question. Thank you. <laughs> it was funny because um, he didn't remember my mother's name, but instinctively he instinctively i'm sorry um he thought he felt that she was somebody uh, important in his life because he would follow her around the house like a puppy and he addressed her as the lady of the house <laughs> so my sister and i used to crack crack up about that but um so the thing is that um Living in the state, and and I'm sure some um, people might uh, in my situation would also identify with that. It's like how difficult and painful it is to have that kind of situation at home when you life is all over across the ocean. So it is very hard and so i used to to call almost daily to to see how they were doing if there were stuff that need uh, be um, needed to be done in the house and just for them to be safe and i remember that um i was terrified the moment he would answer the phone in the beginning he would pick up the phone and we Ex- uh, exchange a pleasantries and even though he didn't remember me but we talked and he was very cordial like he was talking to a friend but as the the time passed and the the illness became more serious he became less talkative he became less cordial and i when i asked him a question he would ask me yes or no but like I was saying that I got it got the point that I got terrified that he answered the phone was because he was pick up the phone, he didn't know what the purpose was. I would talk to him and I would say, Okay, can you pass the, the please pass the phone to Mamita, my mother? So of course I'm tell, asking him to to execute a command that doesn't make any sense so he would just put the telephone on the side of the table and they would be incommunicado for days that is the kind of really really um, terrorized me and and i remember calling my sister it's like please go home and make sure that that the telf- that they're okay and she would say go and check he said it's just that he doesn't know how to hang up the phone anymore so that 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 was when the 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 last stages of, of the disease when 
there was no hope. I mean, everything was uh, uh, very uh, dangerous, even for his safety. And you mentioned a little bit already in terms of your reaction after your father passed away. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit more about that, the feelings that you experienced when you learned that your father had died and and, and saying goodbye at his funeral. Was that a different kind of goodbye because his personality had changed due to the illness? What, what were your thoughts at that time? Well, saying goodbye... He, the final goodbye was very. It was the, the 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 hardest point because we were at a cemetery, and um, like I um, I think I told you before, I'm very self conscious when I have to speak in public, and ironically, I I'm a writer, but I always try to 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 hide away from 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 people or crowds. And there was something that for me was a very small but significant triumph that I gathered the courage to sit by his casket uh, during in, uh, in, in the hearse as we drive to the cemetery. But it was also a, the bigger triumph was to that um, I addressed the that the people who were attending the the funeral, most of them family, most of them friends and, and people who knew him. So for me to to gather the, the courage to speak out and say thank you for being uh, friends to him throughout the, the, the time, even that simple gesture for me was like a triumph because like I said, I'm very shy person but I thought like if I'm going to say something if I'm going to say something for him this is the moment just take a moment Edward <sighs> yes yeah, thank you I'm, I'm, I'm okay I'm okay now with that passage of and uh, the death of your father I'd like to hear more about You've talked already a little bit about your book, and mm-hmm. and we'd like to hear more about that. But let's start at a personal level. How how has life changed now, now that your father is not with you anymore? And uh, let's start with the relationship with your mother and other family members. What does that look like now? Has it changed? And then let's hear more about your book and how that evolved. Well, my mother, um, after my father passed, I started to to try to go more often and spend more time with her. So, because she also had um, diagnosed with dementia, but the the difference with her, she was functional, and she would cook and she would do all the housework and. I uh, in after he passed, I stayed with her like for for more than a month, and I would uh, clean house and cook for her and and talk to her, keep her company. And for me, that was such a wonderful thing because I always had a I, I would say a stronger uh, relationship with my mother, and uh, so it was uh, very satisfying for me to be able to spend that time with her. And uh, then, uh, like a year later, I spent another month with her, and um, and and also the, the the taking care of her, and we would talk. And in fact, she would tell me stories about him and when they met, and, and how she didn't want to do anything with him, <laughs> and and my mother was a beauty. I mean, she was like a European model, and she even though came came from a small town, but she was very slender. She was beautiful. She was blonde, <laughs> and uh, and I it make me uh, laugh every time I think of it. Her ambition when she was young is that she wanted to be a nun, 
And it was so that's that's because the 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 like I would say my my the, her parents were very very Catholic very strict Catholic so it doesn't take um, surprise me that she had that kind of 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 thinking, but the funny things that that makes me laugh is like watching her that beautiful woman in a convent. It was like. Like watching Marilyn Monroe peeling potatoes, <laughs> so it's like you know it doesn't make any sense. But after a long um, kind of contentious um, uh, relationship, so they finally finally get got uh, married. So she would tell me all these stories while I was there. But then, um, um, tragically, then the, the big Hurricane Maria hit just like a week after I left her and I never saw her again. She she passed away like the year later. So um, then after that, I haven't even been back to the house since she died. It's been five years already. And I don't know how, how to handle that. I, don't, I still don't know how to handle that. In terms of my... My life, I continue my li- life here in the States. And uh, I'm a writer, children's writer, basically. And But this was the, the time, like I was saying at the beginning of the pandemic, that I thought it was time to do something uh, for my father. to to Since I didn't have the opportunity to spend that time with him and, and exchanging and, and talking and, and sharing, so at least I would memorialize him in a book, and I think this is my my finest effort today, and I'm very proud of it. And and before I forget, uh, I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to share this kind of knowledge with your audience, because I'm sure more, there's a lot of people who recognize the struggle in themselves. So thank you so much. Well, and I thank you. And I wanted to just ask you kind of one final question about moving on with your life without your father and <laughs> obviously without your mother. What happens now? You obviously are living here in the United States. Um, any other uh, books that you're planning to write, or will you focus, as you mentioned a moment ago, about primarily children's books? Or what is what does your future look like now um, in this next stage of your life? Well, like I said before, I think my uh, the book, uh, One Last Song for My Father, just came out. It just practically fresh off the press. But um so I think for now I just want to concentrate in in spreading the word and 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 um pushing the the, the book to, to a bigger audience. But one um ancillary <laughs> um event is like it's making me feel that this was almost like like destiny and is uh, and that is that um the Kennedy Center just awarded me a grant to convert the book into a play so that is what i'm actually working adapting the 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 the, the adaptation of the book into a play to give it yet another dimension <laughs> And what is the time frame of of when that's going to happen? Well, there's going to be a table reading on March 2024, which I'm sure sure make I'll make sure that you're there. <laughs> so that that is probably the beginning. It's not the process entire process, but at least it's the the beginning of something else. And in my case, bigger than than. <laughs> than what I expected before. 
Well, congratulations on that. That's quite an honor, and uh, we'll certainly look forward to, and I'll be excited about being there. And so I just want our listeners to be able to obtain a copy of your book. Uh, Can you share where that is, and then any final thoughts? Sure. Um, Well, the book can be obtained through Amazon and ExitStudio.com which is my website. And uh, once again, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity because sometimes most people also go through stages like like um, the ones that I just described with my family. And sometimes we just keep those thoughts and, and impressions to ourselves, you know, without realizing that there's other people that need to hear these kind of stories because they can identify it and it can make them feel that they're not alone, that there's support and and life cannot be changed, but you move forward and you do the best you can. With those words, I just want to make a final thank you to Edwin Fontanez, author of One Last Song for My Father, A Son's Memoir. Thank you so much, Edwin, for joining me today. You have quite a story. Thank you, Cheryl. It was a pleasure. And if listeners want to learn more about Aging Matters, you can visit our website, which is agingmattersonline.com. And of course, at this site, you can access all of the Aging Matters radio programs and the TV show content, and you can listen to the Aging Matters podcasts on Apple and Spotify. Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media, To learn more about that company, log on to inkmouthmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Aging Matters today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. 